back to another CRCSA podcast. Today our podcast will be dedicated to a conversation regarding mental health. Although mental health is a complex and difficult issue, it is important for us to raise awareness as a community and normalize actively engaging in this conversation. Olivia, would you like to start us off? We have a special guest with us today, a former soldier, Private Bond, who is going to share some of his experiences and his view on mental health and well-being. Welcome, Jared. How are you? Good, thank you. Thanks for the introduction. Um, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your deployment in Afghanistan? Yes, so it was um, back in 2012. Uh, it was an eight-month, roughly, deployment that went through Christmas into 2013. So there was a bit of a, a pre-deployment training that went for a few months that sort of got you physically and mentally ready um, for the tasks. Uh, you sort of had an expectation on what was what was sort of coming uh, coming towards you. So yeah, the point was eight months. It was a it was a bit of experience, up and down, boring times, exciting times. About myself, from day one, I've always wanted to join the the military. Um, my grandfather was um, he was in the army and served in World War Two, so I just grew up with uh, hearing a lot of stories from him um, about mateship and um, traveling and sort of seeing a lot and experiencing a lot so yeah since a young age i'd always wanted to join i've always been pretty proud of um of being an aussie and wanting to to sort of serve and help people you know from a from a third world country trying to give them um, a better way of life and uh yeah so that's what sort of drove me to to join yeah that's about it how old were you when you joined the army and when you were sent to afghanistan so I was um, I was 18 during the or sorry I was 17 during the enlistment process. Um, there's like interviews and a fitness test and things that you need to do. Um, so I started when I was in year 12, and once I graduated did my VCE, um, I joined uh, a couple of days after my 19th birthday. So yeah, 19 when I joined, and when I went to Afghanistan, I think I was 21, 20 or 21. Um, did you want to elaborate slightly on what made you want to join the army and how nervous you were in making this huge life-changing decision? Um, I don't remember being nervous. Not to say I, I wasn't, but I don't remember being nervous. I was, I was quite young when I was like had it in my head that I wanted to join. You know, probably nine or ten. As I said, just always listening to my grandfather's stories, uh, and that was it. I just I wanted to join. Uh, that's all I ever wanted to do. I was pretty talented in in, uh, in basketball and probably could have taken that down another route. But no matter what I did, it was always the military. So, yeah, there was no real other reason other than, other than my grandfather. Um, it's not that he pushed me or anything. It was just listening to his stories. So it was always something I wanted to do. Never really, you know, joined to, to try and get a deployment to overseas because at that time uh, there wasn't really a lot going on. And then sort of 9-11 probably was the, the tip of the iceberg where I really wanted to join to be able to deploy to Afghanistan, where I wanted to make a, make a difference, wanted to do something. Jared, I'm really curious. What was your most traumatic experience during this time? Uh, most traumatic, probably not too appropriate, but one, uh, one that sort of comes, comes to mind, um, it wasn't really a traumatic experience like personally um it was sort of just the events uh that led up to up to this experience um so on the deployment 
we were um, a quick a quick response um, state for for the week, um, where pretty much anything that happened within a certain radius of the base that we were on, uh, we were pretty much called out to go out and assist. So in this certain uh, example, um, there was an American an American force um, who were, I believe, for memory, they were on their way back from a patrol, and they uh, they striked an IED, so an improvised explosive device, which is pretty much a homemade bomb uh, that the Taliban had left on the road um, as a pressure plate, and obviously once a vehicle or someone steps on it with enough weight, uh, it explodes. So a, an American truck hit this IED and it blew up. Uh, a quick response force was sent out, uh, not us. Um, and on their way out, uh, it was another American unit. They also got hit by a IED. They sent out another one and they got hit by an IED. Um, so it was um, quite, quite crazy. Um, and we were sort of getting live updates um, as it was all happening. And then we were the next to go out. By the time it came to us, though, they'd pretty much had things under control, um, but they couldn't find two American soldiers. So um, they sent us out quickly um, to try and sort of, I suppose, intercept, hoping to intercept where they thought they might be getting um, let out. So they thought they were kidnapped by the Taliban. Um, so, yeah, they, they, they put us out to a location they thought we could hopefully um, put a roadblock in and, and intercept them. We stayed there for about a week uh, at, this one, at this one roadblock, just intercepting cars, hoping that we we're going to come across these two blokes. In the end, um, it was sort of found out uh, through some uh, blood tests and, and things like that, that they'd actually uh, been blown up quite badly where they, they couldn't find the bodies. So they only sort of found, only found that out because of what was on, sort of what was left of them on uh, on the trucks. So I know it was a little bit traumatic because we were, we spent a week out there, pretty much searching for ghosts. Yeah, they they they'd already been dead for a week, and uh, yeah, we were we were looking for them, and yeah, couldn't find them. Obviously, that's rough. Mind, What's mate? the most complicated um mission you were in? That's a good question. <laughs> most complicated. Okay. So it'll go back to my, my most traumatic experience um, where it was nothing like what we used to do or what we were doing um, with the rest of the sort of, you know, shooting guns and whatnot where we were on active patrol searching, actively searching for the enemy to, to, to literally kill them, to, to eliminate them. Um, we did another role where we were called guardian angels. It was a new thing they were doing. And each one of us were assigned to a your mental man. You were, you were assigned to an officer that you had to protect. So we escorted them onto an Afghan base. So Afghan army base, they were our allies. But at the time and why the, the uh, guardian angel role got, in place, oh, sorry, was put in place, was because there was a lot of green on blue. So there was a lot of Afghan National Army soldiers shooting us uh, for whatever reason. Um, the Taliban used to leave them some pretty sadistic notes on their on their doors if they continue to help Australia or America 
you know, their kids would be kidnapped and killed or hung in the streets or beheaded and all sorts of crazy things. So there was a lot of green on blue that were um, probably getting, you know, forced to shoot us. So the guardian angel role got put in place and yeah, we were just escorting officers. Um, but it was, it was, it was probably the toughest thing I've done because it was the most boring thing I've bloody done. I was literally sitting for months on end, mate. It was, our job was just to stand at a doorway and just scan the area. Everyone sort of coming and going, but for eight hours. And at times it was during their winter, it was freezing. And then during the summer, it was just unbearably hot. Um, and just trying to stay concentrated and, you know, who's a threat, who's not a threat. I mean, you'd think that no one's a threat because you're inside of a, a safe base, but people were coming and going, you know, people there would just have a job as a cleaner, emptying bins, I don't know, doing anything there, um, whatever they could get their hands on uh, to get work. So there's a lot of, you know, unidentified people coming in and you had to stay focused to look at these people and think are they going to be a threat or not. A lot of them are carrying guns, yeah, because it's legal for them to carry a gun. Um, and, um, yeah, it was – I don't know how old this kid was. I just – you know, I think he, I think he was probably about 12 or 13, just whatever, judging by what he looked like. Um, and, and he was looking really bloody nervous. And I, was, I just didn't know, you know, what he, what he was up to. Um, sort of just paid it off. And he was getting closer and closer um and then all of a sudden he just blew himself up he you know i don't know maybe maybe 30 meters or something away from me just blew himself up um but it was a partial like he, he had a suicide vest on and um it had like a like a plate on it so once it was underneath his arm so as soon as he let go of his arm that would detonate the explosive on his chest uh, for whatever reason, it didn't fully detonate um, and it only blew up most of the side of his body. So he he virtually died instantly. Um, but it was more so like I just, what, was he coming for me or was he trying to get inside to get the officer that I was, um, you know, meant to protect? And if something happened to him, then I would have failed my job. Um, so, yeah, that was probably the most stressful thing that I've, I've ever had to do just day in, day out doing that shit. Uh, it was tough to stay motivated. Yeah, incredibly tough. I'm pretty young, so I bottom more for... Uh, I'm pretty no, young. Black Ops 2 was the first game I played and I played um Zombies in the in the theater. That stuff scared me so much, sir. <laughs> Is that accurate? Is Zombies mode accurate, sir? <laughs> Maybe one day. Maybe one day. Yeah. I'm sure. I'm sure someone's out there. My theory is there's a country trying to create a, like a, a, um, a superhuman for, for war and something's going to go wrong. I reckon China's going to develop someone and it's going to turn into a zombie in that scenario. Yeah, it's going to be a zombie. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, only, the first game that I played zombies, like genuinely played zombies, was um, Black Ops 3. Which I was still pretty scared, not gonna lie. I'm a, I'm a bit of a scaredy cat, you know. Come on, horror movies. I could read horror books and like manga and stuff. Movies, nowhere. Yeah. So, since you've been to war, can you can you uh, stand horror movies? Oh, I've always loved horror movies. 
Mm. I've always loved horror movies, but I am I'm scared of the dark. I hate the dark. Um, I've got to I've got to sleep. I've got to go to sleep. I used to sleep with a radio on, um, but Gab doesn't doesn't let me do that anymore. So I think without fail, I'll fall asleep to a movie because I, I I hate the quiet. I hate not being able to hear anything. Yeah, I hate silence. I agree, sir. Whenever <laughs> whenever I conversate, converse with someone, and there's a little bit of silence, it just hurts my soul. I, I think can I say something wrong? Hey, I don't know. I think. The scariest thing for me is probably like aging, like becoming an elderly elderly person. Because once you become like seventy or eighty or, or or something like that, you know, like in your heart, you know that death is coming near. And yeah. when you were in war, did you have that feeling? Like, uh, nah, man. Like I'm petrified. That's um, uh, no other than the, the silence and darkness. Um, and probably why this leads to my other fear is death. I, I, they're not just dark. It's got to be darkness and silence. I don't mind dark if, you know, this so, so just in the silence. It just starts triggering my head to start thinking about, you know, life after death. <laughs> like um, the void or emptiness. Yeah, emptiness, man. Yeah. But over there, no, nah, I didn't think it at all. Yeah, when things kick off, your training just kicks in. Um, it's like your mind, you know, before, before yeah, your mind, your mind is conditioned. Before you go over there and you're training as, uh, to be in the infantry, that the first thing they, they drill into your head is when you hear a gunshot um, is to just to drop on the floor and return fire. It doesn't matter whether you know in what direction that the, the, the bullet's coming from, just return fire. Um, go, go crazy. So... Um, like when I was in Afghanistan, I was a marksman. So I had not a sniper, but a marksman. I had a, a quite a high caliber rifle with a pretty big scope. And I was at the very, very front of, of my uh, section. So I was the eyes and ears of, of my, of my guys. So whenever something kicked off, I was at the front. I was the first one to shoot back. Um, and I had to carry, uh, yeah, as soon as something kicked off, I had to try, I, really was i was and why i was the marksman was i was really good at being able to determine the location of where the rounds were coming from and the distance so as soon as we were fired upon i would be able to just rattle off a really quick target location um to the rest of the guys so they knew where it was coming from and then i was able to return fire very quickly and accurately so everyone else could could get position and it's just gaining that initiative on the enemy again Obviously, being shot at first, you're losing the initiative. So it's really important just to get rounds down range and gain the initiative again, um, so you can put the pressure back on them. <laughs> wow. uh, so, are you a nationalist? Do you feel pride for your country, sir? I definitely feel um, pride for my country. Um, don't know if I'm a nationalist. Maybe not too sure. I've never been called a nationalist. Definitely patriotic. Uh, to an extent, but yeah, I, I definitely feel proud of what Australia did uh, and stepped in to to try and assist over there. I don't feel as though we went over there with uh, maybe the intentions um, some other countries did. I really feel that we went over there to assist uh, with the general population to try and make their lives easier and safer and bring roads and construction and um, you know all that sort of thing. So. 
yeah, I was definitely proud of what I did and, and what we did over there. You actually answered my second question while you were um, answering that one. I was going to ask, were you ever skeptical of your authority's intent? But um, look, yes and no. Um, not never to the extent where I thought what we're doing here is completely wrong. This is this isn't right. Um, a lot of minds come together, I guess, to to um, you know put a, a mission or a plan together. So. Uh, no, there was never really a, a time where I was skeptical and questioned the authorities, um, you know, at, at a higher at a higher level. Definitely times where I where I sort of shook my head or thought, you know, what what the bloody hell. Um, but at the end of the day, you're you're over there to to do a job, and uh, especially in the army, you don't you don't ever question um, your officers, anyone higher ranking than you. You just do what you're told, shut up, and get on with it. Don't don't uh, make a fuss about it. Dutiful place. Yes, duty first. So what was put in place to prepare for the army? Was there any training or can you take us through the standard day as a soldier? Um, yeah, so before you join the the army, so even before you go to basic training, um, they'll do a few tests just to see whether or not you're actually, I suppose, fit for that specific job that you want to apply for. Um, they'll virtually do this test and then they'll give you a list of jobs that you're virtually qualified to do or not even qualified. They just, you know, a list that that they feel you'd fit. Um, so, yeah, I was lucky that the infantry was, was one of the ones um, that was for me and that's what I wanted to do. Uh, so you just do a basic fitness test, um, uh, basic psych tests, those little things. Um, but, yeah, once you actually... Join the army, um, you'll go to Kapuka. So girls, guys, all alike, doesn't matter what uh, job you're actually going to do in the army, you all go to Kapuka. Uh, f- uh, it's about three months, 80-odd days, that um, you go there for all basic training. So they virtually send you there, um, in my opinion anyway, to, to sort of wean out the week, uh, the mentally week that shouldn't be in the army. It uh, doesn't matter what role. So it's just a lot of mental mind games while you're there. It's not very physical. Um, it's all pretty because of the, the branch or different branches that you can go to in the army. Uh, it's a pretty, you know, subpar physical side of it. But, yeah, it's all mental. So from day one, they're, they're playing mental mind games with you. Uh, you know, you don't have your mobile phones. You can't contact mum, dad, girlfriend, wife, husband, kids, whatever it is. Yeah, they make you do a lot of silly things. They sort of almost strip you of your identity. Um, you all have uh, numbers that you're, you know, that, that that instead of your name, you've got a number. So it's an ID number. Um, it goes on like your dog tags on your ID, um, all that sort of thing. So instead of, you know, asking where's Private Bond, they'll say, you know, where's 8569136. So you sort of lose your identity almost. Um, you, you're sort of just a number. Um, they get up in your face. They'll yell at you. Don't really push you around at this day and age. Um, but definitely heard some pretty crazy stories back in the day. Um, but, yeah, literally just a mental mind game for those three months um, to sort of wean out anyone that really shouldn't be there. And then you'll go to your specific um, training. So in the infantry, um went off for around another three months and that's where you actually hone in on the basic skills uh, of your specific role 
So yeah, got to got to shoot a lot of guns and blow things up and pretty much play army for a few months. Um, very very physical there. Uh, not so much mentally. You sort of feel more of a human when you're there. People call you by your name and and treat you well. Um, but yeah, just incredibly um, physical. Uh, the discipline side of things come out. Um, really concentrating on timings. So making sure that you're at a specific place at by a specific time. Um, the punishments if you're late um, are, are all physical. Um, so yeah, just a real physical test while you're there. Um, and then once you once you finish from there, if you do graduate, then you'll actually go to your battalion. So you get a selection. You put in your preference where you want to go, but at the end of the day, they'll send you wherever the hell they want you to go, wherever you needed. Um, I was pretty lucky to go to um, Seven RAR, which was in Adelaide, and that was the closest infantry battalion to to home as well. So I was quite lucky that I could drive off home on weekends or every second weekend um, to see uh, to see family. Standard. Oh, sorry, sorry, <laughs> uh, I'm getting a bit carried away. Uh, standard day, um, so standard day, um, not on deployment in base. Um, I explained it. It's virtually like school. Like honestly, um, you've got all your mates there. Um, there's sort of like different social groups and things like that. Um, yeah, you you'll rock up in the morning. You know, say seven o'clock, and you'll do about an hour's worth of physical activity. Um, could range in all sorts of different things. Um, and then you'll head off for breakfast, have a shower. That's for about an hour. You'll come back. Um, typically, you'll do lessons. Sometimes you might just sit there and talk to your mates and play on your phone and do things not too, um, you know, not too exciting. Um, but, yeah, they try to keep you occupied and, and do, do training, do qualifications, things to help you progress to um you know a higher rank or to like a support company where you could be a sniper or a heavy weapons person or a mortarman um things like that so you do you know lessons and stuff uh, obstacle courses sometimes go to the range um and and um practice your shooting uh you do that for a couple of hours have lunch again for an hour um come back lessons again till you know three four five o'clock and then they'd knock you off uh for the day you could live on base or you, uh, if you lived on base for long enough or you're in the battalion for long enough, then you could get permission to go and, you know, rent a house or buy a house outside of the army. That's if you were single. If you were married with kids, then you wouldn't need it. As soon as you got to your battalion, you could go off and obviously live with your family. Um, but yeah, if you were single, you had to live on base for a certain amount of time and then request permission from your rank to be able to live off base. But, yeah, it's it's honestly like school. You just go to... Go to that, go to that base, and you're there for the day, and then you go home, knock off, just like any sort of normal job as well, I guess. I remember reading a poem from school called Dolce et Decorum Est. The poem mentions the old lie. Is the old lie still a thing in our new age? Uh, I honestly had to Google this poem because <laughs> I had not heard of it, um, and I, I wasn't too sure what the question was about. So. Um, yeah, what, what was the, the it actual... It is sweet and fitting to die for one's country. Yeah. So it is... Is that pretty much where you're leaning towards? Like, is, it, is it still... Like, do you still find pride in dying for your country? Yeah, and basically the, glorif- the glorification of war. Yeah, okay. Um, I, I, again, it's just a personal opinion. I feel things have really changed a lot. 
um, from you know when we when we um, when we had World War One and World War Two. Um, you know, I think because of the scale of the war, I guess people were probably felt like they were actually being called upon by their country, uh, which they were. I mean, there was a lot of you know propaganda and things like that to try and convince you to come and join the military um, to serve your country. Um, nowadays, I, you know, that's definitely not the case. You know, you probably don't really see anything on TV to, you know, to advertise or to try and get you to join. I know there's some stuff on, you know, on Facebook or things like that sometimes on social media. Um, so, yeah, look, I don't think in modern day now, um, in, in like speaking in Australia, I think maybe in America, it might be more glorified to die for your country and, and things like that. Um, I feel like in Australia, um, where we haven't really got a massive military presence, um, you're more so just joining perhaps for some adventure, um, I don't know, to test yourself or just to try and get some stability and some discipline. Um, I sort of explained to my wife, for me, um, personally, it wasn't about going over there. Yeah, the risk of dying, but it was, um, you know, it wasn't for my country. It would be more so for my mates next to me, um, dying for them, dying to help them, dying for that sort of cause. Um, so, yeah, I, there was no glory. We, we, anyway, we didn't, any, like, we didn't feel there was any glory in death. It was never really a discussion or something that we believed in. Oh, God, do we have a good year? <laughs> yeah, exactly, mate. That's what I mean. People are, are crying about staying at home, and I hear this, these types of stories, and I'm just so grateful that I could actually sit in my house. I don't do anything, but I, at least I could sit in my house. 100%, man. That's good. If that's one thing that I can bring to you guys, um, you know, it, it, look, it's, it, we're all human, yeah? We're all human. We're all going to complain and sook and moan about the situation we're in. Um, we're always going to think it's so much worse than what it is. It's the worst thing in the world. Um, but yeah, at the end of the day, man, what we're going through right now is absolutely nothing to, you know, even what a lot of your grandparents have probably gone through. Um, you think of, you know, World War One like that, um, that poem that Rejoice was saying. Um, you know, if you read that poem and it just dabbles lightly into what trench warfare would have been like for those guys, it's just absolutely insane, mate. And then people think they've got, people think they've, um, you know, got the, well, not the right, but I can't think of the word. Um, you know, whatever, got the right to, to, to make as much noise as what they do about having to sit at home. It's like, shit, you've got to get your priorities in order. But as, yeah. I, like to, as I like to argue with Jared, <clears throat> so we're going to put some marriage issues here. Um, that, you know, just because you've experienced something um, that's like in your life it's been the worst thing ever and maybe something that I've experienced that's been the worst thing for me, um, it doesn't make my situation any less traumatic or, you know, it doesn't, just because you've experienced war doesn't mean that, you know, let's say, I don't know, what's an example? I don't know. But you don't need to experience war to no, of course to not. understand that. As Phillips, you know, was saying, it only takes you to listen to someone or do a bit of research and see how other people are living right now, um, in compared to the coronavirus. 
I don't um, think the coronavirus is a really good. I think. Um, no, but we're just staying at home. Yeah, at home. I, I think. Yeah, people are definitely having a whinge about that. You know, staying at home, and that's not the end of the world. I think. You know, you put yourself in the shoes of a business owner, a small business owner at the moment. You know, someone who's probably taken out like ten loans in order to pay for their business, and that's just all gone down the gurgler. And that's why, you know, people's mental health is... Because let's say, you know, some... Like, I know a person who's given up everything, like, you know, taken out all these loans to pay for, um, sacrificed time with their family, blah, blah, like, all this sort of stuff, and then it's gone down the drain. And for that person, that is the worst thing that's probably ever going to happen to them, and that doesn't make it any less traumatic for them. Yeah, but I was saying before, like, those... Those circumstances, 100%. Those are the people that should be have every right to kick yeah. and scream and complain. It's yeah. more so the ones like myself who still have a job, who can still comfortably, you know. Look, I'm just peeved about not being able to get my hair coloured. Like, that's, that's the worst thing for me. But, but, you know, like Jared said, we've got it pretty sweet here. Like, we really, we don't have bills to pay. We don't, like, our kids have food on the table every night we've got a roof over our head we don't we're not like living paycheck to paycheck where we're wondering you know how we're going to pay the next bill or the next business installment or you know and like that's and i think that's why um the government's in a bit of strife at the moment because there are a lot of people i don't think we realize how many people have actually lost more than we're aware of in this situation so it's not like me and you, like not being able to go to school or look to do. Like, that's not the end of the world. There's much worse things going on. I think that people we're not aware of because on the news, all they talk about is the case numbers and, and people not being able to cross the border, but they don't cover the real stuff that people are dealing with. So, yeah, that's just me chiming in. <laughs> it's, it's the person's perspective. Um, it's, it's relative, you know. Um, so moving on to questions regarding your post-deployment, so after your deployment, um, have you ever no have you noticed change in yourself or your mental health after your experiences in Afghanistan? And what were some of the signs? Um, yes, probably more so from what other people um, close to me um, has uh, have, have told me. Um, and I suppose once I heard it from them, it was sort of um, like a slap in the face. Um, so yeah, short answer. Yes. Um, oh, I know I don't feel as though I'm as, as alive maybe as, um, I, I guess when I was younger, like your age before I joined, I was a pretty big larrikin, um, you know, pretty gobby, like to, like to talk a bit and, um, not, not do anything bad, but I don't know. I was pretty cheeky um, at parties. I was always sort of like the life life of a party. Um, and I don't know what happened, um, whether it was the deployment or um, just my perception on things changed after what I experienced over in Afghanistan. And then I came back here and sort of thought people are just too privileged here to, you know, they're just so opinionated, um, feel like they've got it so hard when really... We have it so bloody amazing over here. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. Sometimes I find it hard, like things that should make me happy that 
don't make me happy and I question myself about it. Like why, why am I not feeling happy or even things that should be making me feel sad or angry, same thing. Like I'll just sort of, sometimes I'll just feel numb inside. Like I don't feel anything at all. Don't know why. Haven't, to be honest, haven't gone to a psychiatrist, haven't gone to a doctor. Um, everything that I've felt initially, I was, I was pretty, I wasn't open about it. I just kept, kept it to myself. Uh, I was living alone at the time as well after I got back from the deployment. Got into some pretty excessive drinking, um, things like that. So that's, that sort of thing I, I was aware of myself, sort of what am I, what am I doing? Why am I doing this? Um, and I was just lucky to have some bloody awesome mates where I, I felt comfortable to open up to them and um, I just stopped holding it all in and just started talking. So even now, um, I don't hide anything. I will just talk about it. I'm not afraid to, to say my feelings or to cry or to yell, whatever. Like if that's how I'm feeling, then I'm just going to I'm gonna let it out. I'm not going to hide it. Um, so, yeah. I try and just sort of wear my my feelings on my sleeve as much as I can, but I know at times as well I'm like polar opposite of that where, as I was explaining before, I struggle to feel things and I don't show it. Um, so, yeah, probably pretty hard to live with sometimes with the wife. <laughs> a person that has seen atrocities of war and a person that hasn't feel to a certain degree. Actually, no. I retract my statement. No, very no. One that goes to war and sees the atrocities of war. Sees the atrocities of war. It is heavier than not going to school. Of course. But um, not to discredit people's problems, of course. I mean, like you said, someone that has to take out the, the bin or something probably hates it or whatever. And you know, they're, they're allowed to not like it. They are human. But it really puts you in, into perspective how trivial my problems are at least like compared to the ones that people have in Afghanistan or yours or those people that have their businesses getting shut down and such. It, it, very, it grounds me into, into my position. But then like, I think we fall into the trap as well of um, especially males that don't, feel like they can talk about their things because they are so trivial and I think it, it sometimes can be a bit of a a bit of a cycle like you know well I don't want to vent to my friends because this seems so petty but deep down it's really it's killing me it's eating me on the inside and I think we've got to be aware of that too does that make sense yeah I guess so Just don't but I would say you're more like being grateful of your situation yeah yeah, that's it. Always find that's another, you know, good thing to to help you stay mentally positive is to be grateful. You find find stuff. the things that you're grateful for. Find the positive things. Try not to, because again, it's so human. It's um, so human and so natural to focus on the negative things. Um, man, I've unfollowed so many of my mates on Facebook because of the crap they're posting on Facebook right now, and it's already negative enough. You know, it's you, you don't need to keep being reminded of negative, negative, negative. So, you know, it's little things like that. Just just to try and focus on the positive things. Doesn't matter what it is, how small it is. Are you guys still doing gem at school? I don't know about the other years, but you're 10 now. 
but I'm, I hear I hear stories in about in concentration camps in Auschwitz and whatnot. And when I go downstairs and I take a bite of my food, and yeah, it's a little bit salty, but after reading the stories they had to go through, I loved it. Yeah, it was too salty. So what? At least it's food, and I don't have to eat one piece of bread every day. Where'd they find this kid? <laughs> is he one of your students or is he just? He doesn't have a lot like yeah, he's just. He's gross. Thank you. I'll take that as a compliment, sir. Nah, you're gross, man. Speak your mind. Philip, you actually make me miss teaching high school. Making me miss teaching high school kids you know, an opinion. And you got a logic. good. You got a good mind, mate. You got a very good mind. Do you think? Um, living with these changes and experiences in Afghanistan has shaped you into being the person you are today? Uh, yeah, in a positive way and a negative way. Um, as I was saying before, um, I've always been a pretty um, just roll with the blows. Um, nothing has ever really phased me much at all. Um, but I think the military also helped me in that as in that in that regard too. So especially with what's going on right now. Um, you know, a lot of people are, and I know there's definitely people out there who have lost their jobs, uh, who may have lost loved ones, um, friends, things like that, where it actually has impacted them greatly. Um, and by all means, they have every right to, to complain. Um, but then I, I see, and even close friends of mine that are, you know, that are complaining and I never say it because I'm not one to, to stick my foot in it, but I think to myself, what are you complaining about? You can literally pick up your phone right now and order Uber Eats, online shopping. You can call your mum, you can call your dad, you can call your girlfriend, your boyfriend. Um, you, can, you can still step outside. Um, you can virtually still do what you want. You're in a free country. Um, it's people, people are on social media, they can say what they want, freedom of speech, they can call it a dictatorship. You try and do something like that in, in Afghanistan, um, especially in the areas where we were at, um, you know, women couldn't be teachers. Um, the Taliban would go to these schools if they found out there were female teachers, female students, um, and they would um, do some very hideous and horrendous crimes to these women so that they couldn't continue to teach or so that the women couldn't continue to, um, to, to go to school. You know, young girls, didn't matter how old they were. Um, so we're an extremely privileged country and position and I really don't feel like with what's going on right now, people have, you know, much to complain about. I always try to keep things in perspective and for me, always... You know, when things are tough, I'll just think back to Afghanistan and go, shit, it's, it's nothing compared to what these people are going through. And it's so sad because for them it's the norm. Um, kids running around with no shoes, around minefields, um, you know, they're, they're, they've still got a smile on their face, massive smile. Because they just don't know any different. That's the normal to them and um, they're, they're absolutely stoked doing it. Um, kids over here, you know, my son. I don't know how many shoes we've bought him, how many toys we've bought him. Um, and that's just how it is over here, you know. We, we spoil our kids and, um, yeah, we're in that. But as like I said, we're just going to be lucky that we're in that privileged position to be able to do those sort of things. Through all the things you've seen, 
is it worth it? Is it worth going to the army? Uh, yeah, well, the earth, hundred percent. Um, uh, it was the most memorable, um, experience of my, of my life. Um, that deployment, um, if I was still single, I would, I would do it again in a heartbeat. I'd, I'd go over there. You know, it was my passion. I loved it. Um, I, I hurt my knees over there. So unfortunately I couldn't continue to do things um like i did in the infantry so I, I had to i had to discharge and and seek another career path um that really impacted me as well with my mental health um because i was in a position where i was going down the path uh, possibly where i where i was going to reach my dream job uh, to be a to be a sniper and um that got cut short and that really really hurt me um I didn't feel like when I hurt my knees and I came back that I was getting the care and rehab um, that I probably should have been getting from the army. I really started to feel like I was just a number. A lot of people started to discharge. Um, the budgets got cut for the military as well with that uh, with that current government. So it just got incredibly boring, um, you know, sitting on your phone during the day instead of being able to do lessons or go out into the bush and do your training. So, yeah, that that, that really impacted me going back to sort of that mental question, sort of re rejig my memory. Um, but most definitely it's worth going to the army. You learn so much, mate. Um, even if it's, even if it's just an initial short period of the four years uh, with the infantry, um, you know, you went, if you sign up for a job in the army, air force, Navy, it's for a certain period of time, the contract. So the infantry was a, a minimum contract of four years. So you couldn't break that contract. You were stuck in there for four years unless you had, uh, had to medically discharge or um, psychologically discharge. Uh, that was it. That was a set contract. And then once your four years were done, then it was up for, up to you whether or not you wanted to continue with the job. Um, it wasn't then like a further four-year contract. You just kept going at it. Um, but, man, it's um, you, you learn so much. You meet so many people, uh, all walk, walks of life, um, people with the the worst backgrounds um you know everyone just comes together it doesn't matter what what i don't know what religion you are everything just goes out the door you, i just can't explain the mateship that you have um in there compared to the the friends you have at school or in everyday life just that bond is it's crazy i assume you don't regret your decision to join the army but do you think that decision has hardened hardened your heart um, I saw that question. It's a pretty tricky one to answer, to be honest with you, mate. Um, I, I honestly, I don't know if it's hardened my heart or, or I don't know what it's done. Um, I suppose it's made me more susceptible to um, the things that are going on, you know, right now with the coronavirus. Um, I was saying, you know, I'll just roll with the punches and, you know, it isn't. To me, it's it's not that big of a deal to to sit at home. You know, me and my wife have got completely different opinions on the matter. I think Dan Andrews is doing a, a pretty bloody great job, in my opinion. But I don't know if I'm speaking from a privileged point of view, if I was saying before, because I work in construction. I've still got my job. She's still got her job. Um, we're not really feeling, you know, any financial pressure or stress about it. So I could just be um, speaking from a privileged side of thin there. But, yeah, tough one, mate. Not not too sure, to be honest with you. So you said you learned the virtue of resilience, like you are resilient and 
you could go through the punches, take the punches. Can I ask, what's, other than resilience, what's the virtue or value you learned from going to the army? Honestly, resilience is a massive one. I know you said other than resilience, and as I answer this, I'll try and think of another one. But um, I, I try, I try to practice res- like being resilient even after being out of the army. Um, to to me, that's like such an important um, mental, uh, I guess, quality. Um, not everyone, in my opinion, not everyone is probably born with or you know train themselves to have the level of resilience that that others have um but being resilient is um is a massive is a massive key and definitely something that i would would um advise everyone to to look on like on ted talk there's some really good ted talks on resilience um a lot of uh, a lot of people you know speak speak quite a lot about it um yeah, it's it's definitely something that everyone should should look into and try to practice it. Uh, there's things that you can do to make yourself more resilient, uh, which may help everyone in day to day life. Um, something else other than resilience. Um, God, uh, other than discipline, um, that's sort of a sort of a given, I guess, from the army. Um, I know I'd say uh, listening. To be honest, listening to people's perspectives because not everyone's got the same perspective, belief on on all different all different situations, and that that perspective that you might have, um, you may be you know hard in concrete, thinking that's that's the way it is, that's the way it's got to be. But until you listen to someone else's perspective, um, it may change the way that you think, and it may even um, you know put your mind at at ease um, to help you get through a certain situation. So. I think if everyone listened a lot more as well, um, you know, it would definitely help. Especially in times like these. Alex, I, I cut you off before. Say what you wanted to uh, ask him. Thanks, Philip. So, Jared, have you noticed a change in your well-being to lockdown? Do you believe that your experiences have helped you deal with this situation? Yes, yes. Um, I guess I've been... I sort of cut your question off. Sorry, mate. I've probably answered that a couple of times now. Sorry. Um, no, okay. um, yeah, look, I don't, I don't feel uh, my well-being has changed. As I was saying, I've still got my job. Gabby's still got her job. Um, we've got healthy kids. We're building a new house at the moment and lucky enough to be living with um, my in-laws as well. So we've got a very stable, healthy, safe, um, you know, place to be living in to raise the kids at the moment so um yeah haven't noticed any sort of well-being issues on on my side um have definitely heard a lot of stories um tried to reach out with some to, to some of my friends that aren't doing as well and they have lost their jobs um due to the circumstances so i've just tried to reach out to to my friends and keeping constant contact with them um not just a you know, one one message a month type thing. Um, just touching base with them every couple of days, just to see see how they're going and what they're doing to try and keep them busy. Um, and yeah, as I kept saying, just it definitely has my experience in the military. It, you know, the the mental side of it has definitely helped me get through these current times and uh, times before it as well. 
And for our final question, what advice can you give us around coping in trying times like these and maintaining a healthy state of mind? Um, just always test yourself. Uh, as I was saying, um, you know, research things. Research, honestly, research how to be resilient. Check, check it out. It's, um, it's, it's really cool. It's really interesting things that you can do to enhance your, um, you know, to, to be resilient. I would definitely advise, you know, listening and talking to your friends, people that you may not have, um, you know, been able to speak to recently. Just reach out to them and listen. Um, if you know they're going through a hard time, um, encourage action. Uh, it's it's massive, yeah. Um, if if someone is struggling, even if it's an adult, just encourage action. Um, I think it's pretty important because if you're, you know, you're stuck at home, um, you know, especially you guys stuck at home, not being able to mentally stimulate yourselves at school with your friends, um, you know, not just with, with school itself, but mucking around at recess and lunch, uh, all that sort of physical activity, the banter, all that sort of thing. Um, it, it's crucial. So touch base with people and encourage that action to, to keep moving, not just to sit there on your phone, on the PlayStation, um, on the Xbox, you know, whatever it is, just, just, Keep active. Keep your mind active. Just keep testing yourself. Um, so thank you so much for joining us today, Jared. We've learned so much from your experiences, which you have lived through at such a young age. Your strength is an inspiration to us all, and we know our listeners will gain a lot of insight in how to deal with trying times and the topics we have explored today. Thank you. Cheers, guys. It's been a privilege, and um, I appreciate uh, you guys listening to me and, and my stories. Um, Always, always here for a chinwag, a gas bag, whatever you guys want. If there's any other questions that you may have that maybe weren't as appropriate for the podcast, flick them through to Christy and I'm more than happy to answer anything that you guys might have. And any, anyone that's listening as well, I'm more than happy to answer everything. I definitely very strong on not holding anything in, anything that anyone's interested in. Um, yeah, be inquisitive, ask away. <laughs>